Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord together in prayer. Our Father, how thankful we are that you have given us another day that we can meet together and worship your matchless name. And Father, I pray that you would enable us this morning to truly worship, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, give us a word from thee this morning. Father, speak to us through your word. Don't let the people that you've gathered here this morning just hear the words and ideas and thoughts of a man. But Father, speak to us through your word. Enable us to, by faith, see the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him. To have our souls thrilled with another view of Christ our Savior. Father, comfort the hearts of your people. Strengthen the hearts of your people by the preaching of your darling son this morning. We pray, Father, that you would comfort the brokenhearted. That you'd strengthen those that you've brought into the dark days and, and deep waters of the trials of this life. We pray you'd be with them in a mighty and special way. Father, bless us in this hour. Don't let us meet here in vain. Don't let us just go through the motions of religion, but Father, meet with us. Enable us to learn more of Christ our Savior. For it's in his precious name, his glory, we pray. Amen. I titled our lesson this morning, He Gives Gifts to Men. We looked last week at how it is that the Lord Jesus Christ earned, bought the right to be able to give these gifts to men. He did it by accomplishing the salvation of his people when he descended into the earth as a man. As a man made under the law, Christ our Savior obeyed God's law perfectly as the representative of his people. His obedience to the law is the obedience of his people. Now that's how sinners are made righteous. It's not by us keeping the law. It's because Christ our representative kept it for us and we kept it in him. Then Christ descended even further. When he was made sin for his people and he suffered and died to put that sin away. And he actually died. The son of God descended so far. He went to the tomb and he laid there for three days to show everyone he truly died for the sin of his people. He satisfied the law's last demand that there be death for sin. That's what the three days in the tomb shows. But the sword didn't end there, did it? Christ arose from the dead. He came out of the tomb and he arose from the dead for this reason. His sacrifice put away the sin that demanded his death. All the sin that had been laid on him, the sacrifice of Christ put it away. It's gone under his blood so death could not hold him. He had to rise again. And the resurrection of Christ is the evidence his sacrifice did what it was supposed to do. His sacrifice put away the sin of his people. He justified his people by his sacrifice for them. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. He was raised again as the proof. His sacrifice truly justified his people. Then 40 days later, 
Christ had descended to the earth. Now, 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended back to the Father to sit on the Father's right hand on the throne of heaven. And Christ ascended back to the Father because all the work the Father gave him to do was done. Christ had already finished the work. He did everything that was required to save God's people from their sin. Now, that's the gospel of Christ in a nutshell. We looked at that last week. Now, since all that is true, Christ, when he descended, he accomplished the salvation of his people. He ascended back to the Father as a successful Savior. Since that's true, Christ has earned the right to give gifts to his people. That's what verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4 says. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now what are these gifts? These gifts that Christ gives his people that Paul's talking about here. You, know, you read a lot of the writers and they tell you he's talking about the gifts of preaching. And I know why they think that because in just a couple verses, Paul talks about the gifts that God gives to, to preachers and how God called out um, some prophets, some apostles, some evangelists, some, some pastors and teachers. But that can't be what Paul's talking about in verse 7. It can't be. Because he says these gifts are given unto every one of us. Unto every one of us. There's not one person here who's a prophet, an apostle, or an evangelist. Not one. There are a few pastors and teachers around, but all of us aren't pastors and teachers. So Paul can't be talking about the gifts of the ministry because these gifts that he's talking about are given to every one of us. Then other people think that Paul is talking about the gifts that were in the early church, the gifts of the Spirit that the apostles had. They say Paul has to be talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of healings, those, those kinds of gifts that the, that the early church had. Well, again, that cannot be what Paul's talking about here in verse 7 because he says these gifts are given unto every one of us. There's not one person here has the gift of tongues or healing. Not one. And you don't know anybody anywhere else that has them either. If you have the gift of tongues, I sure wish you'd tell me because I'd like to schedule a trip to Mexico. and You can go with me and translate for me. I'd like to go back down there and preach to those brothers. But I need a translator. If you got the gift of tongues, we'll get on a plane and go. But nobody, nobody has that. We'll leave that to the native pastors who already speak that language. Only. If you have the gift of healing, I know several brethren right now who sure would appreciate a visit from you if you've got the gift of healing. But you don't have it. If people really had the gift of healing, King's Daughter's Medical Center would be empty. We don't have the, the, so that can't be what Paul's talking about here. Because Paul says these gifts that he's talking about are given unto every one of us. So I try to show you what these gifts are not. Now let me t- tell you what they are. These gifts are gifts of God's grace. Gifts of his grace that he gives to every single believer. These are the spoils of Christ's victory. When he led captivity captive, he got all the spoils and he gives his people the spoils of war. Everything that he conquered for his people, they're gifts. They're gifts of grace. Now you can't earn these things. You can't do something to earn these gifts from God. They're gifts of God's grace. And I thought of eight, well I thought of more than that, but for time's sake, I'm going to mention eight gifts of God's grace 
that every believer, I don't care where you find them, every believer has received these gifts of God's grace. Now, eight points sounds like a lot for me to cover in about 20 minutes. I think I can do it. But this is kind of, kind of be like Christmas time. You ever have those Christmases where the presents don't fit under the tree? That's the gifts of God's grace. There's so many of them. We can't talk about them all. Can't talk about them all. But let me give you these eight. Number one, look at Romans chapter five. The first one is the gift of justification. Romans chapter five. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and by the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Now this is a free gift. Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so was the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Justification is a free gift of God, free gift of his grace to God's people. And I'm telling you what a gift that is because justification means to be made without sin, to have no sin. Now that's an amazing gift because all you and I can do is sin. All of our motives are sin. All of our thoughts are sin. Every action, it's all sinful then how can sinners like you and me be made without sin? If everything we do is sin, how can we be made without sin? Well, it's not by what we do. No, it's by what Christ has done for us. Hold your place there, Romans 5. We'll come back there in just a second. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Sinners are not made justified, made without sin by what they've done. It's what Christ has done for us. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, by his works, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, by the faithfulness of Christ who do everything it took to put the sin of his people away and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So this gift of justification, it's been accomplished by the faithfulness of Christ and we receive it by faith, by trusting Christ. It's not by our works, it's by faith in Christ. That's what Peter said when he was preaching in Acts chapter 13, verse 39. He said, and by him all that believe, not all that keep the law, not all that, that follow all the ceremonies of religion, not all that follow after the, the Jewish traditions, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Justification is a free gift of God's grace that every believer has. All right, now look back at Romans chapter 5. Here's the second one. It's the gift of righteousness. Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, 
grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now righteousness is obeying God's law perfectly. That's what righteousness is. Now again, we're all sinners. The only thing we can do is sin. That makes it obvious we can't earn a righteousness by keeping God's law. We can't earn a righteousness by anything we do. If we're going to be made righteous, God's got to give it to us as a free gift of his grace, doesn't he? Because we can't earn it. If we're going to be made righteous, somebody else is going to have to make us righteous because we can't do it. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, like I said earlier, when he descended in the flesh, made under the law, he obeyed the law for his people. He obeyed it as their representative. And he made them righteous. Now here's the thing about righteousness. It goes a whole lot deeper than a legal standing before God. A whole lot deeper than that. The obedience of Christ did give his people a legal righteousness. That has to be done. This thing has to be done legally. The obedience of Christ did give his people a legal righteousness. But if you and I would be accepted of God, we have to be made righteous. Not just legally, but personally made righteous. And in order to make his people righteous, you know what Christ had to do? He had to take the sin of his people into his own body on the tree. He had to be made sin. And he had to suffer the punishment and the death that the sin of his people deserved. And that's exactly what he did. And by his sacrifice, he made his people righteous. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him sin for us. Him who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now we quote that verse a lot. But that's breathtaking. That a sinner can be made the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what God has done. In order to give his people the gift of righteousness, Christ had to suffer and die in their place. And that's what he did. So he could give this gift to his people, the gift of righteousness. And every believer has it perfectly righteous before God. All right, now look for the third thing across the page at Romans Chapter 6, verse 23, every believer's received the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Now that's what we've earned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now eternal spiritual life is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. We can't earn it because we're already dead. We already died spiritually in Adam. We're dead. Dead people can't do anything to stink. They can't do anything for themselves. So if we're going to be made alive, somebody else has to give us life, don't they? Somebody else has to make us alive. And that's what Christ has done for his people. But this eternal life comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. In order to give his people eternal life, Christ had to die. 
He had to die the death that his people deserve so they can live. Now, since Christ has already died, he died as the substitute for his people. The Father has given him the right to give eternal life to his people. Before he went to the cross, in our Lord's great high priestly prayer in John 17, there was not a doubt in his mind his sacrifice was going to be successful. His sacrifice was going to be accepted by the Father and it was going to get the job done. Because this is what he said, John 17, verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He's going to give eternal life to his people because he died for them. And if you wonder what this life is, he told us, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast seen. If you trust Christ, if you if, first of all, if you know Christ, you trust him. Don't you? If you know him, you have eternal life. All right, here's the fourth thing. Look at Ephesians chapter four. It's the gift of holiness. The gift of holiness. Ephesians four, verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, this is true holiness. This is not some fake veneer. This is not just some shuffling of paper that where God calls you righteous, but you're not. This is true holiness. And just like righteousness, holiness cannot just be a legal state before God. It can't be. If we would be accepted of the holy God, we must be holy. We must have a holy nature. Well, our old sinful nature can't be made holy. Our Lord said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's all it ever will be. is flesh. Dead, sinful, rotten flesh. So God the Holy Spirit comes. And he causes a new man to be born in the hearts of his people. And that new man is holy. He is holy. That's his nature. He has a holy nature because he has the nature of his father. He has the nature of his heavenly father. Just like when we're born in the flesh, we bear the nature of our father. Our father in this life, and we certainly bear the nature of our father Adam, don't we? Well, that new man is born of God. And he has the nature of his father. It's a holy nature. Now that's a gift. <laughs> the gift of holiness. And it has to be a gift. Because that holiness is not something that we can produce on our own. But that God has given his people the gift of holiness and made them holy. And that's the nature. When this flesh dies, that's the nature. That'll go be with God. You talk about a gift. God's given you the nature. That he'll accept. So that when this body dies. You can go be with the Lord. That's a gift isn't it? And without that holiness. No man shall see the Lord. So God's given his people. This gift of holiness. Now here's the fifth thing. Look back at Galatians chapter 4. I kind of try to take these in, in a chronological order, but I want to deal with these next two together. Galatians chapter 4. It's the gift of adoption. 
Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. Now in order for God to adopt some of Adam's race into his family, he had to send his son to get him. His son had to go get him. I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because I think it's it's good. We don't really, as far as I know, don't have orphanages like they used to have some years ago. But you imagine in those days where there's an orphanage. There's all these little rugrats in the orphanage. They're abandoned. They're not taken care of really very well. They're, they're dirty, not, not clothed very well. But every once in a while, a couple will come and they'll look over all them kids and they'll, they'll pick one to adopt and take home with them. Well, boy, when that day comes, you know all those kids get out there and they, they try to look their best. They try to act their best. They, they want to be adopted. And if that happens, you know what's going to happen. You know who they're going to adopt, don't you? They're going to adopt the littlest one. They're just so cute. They're little. They want to adopt the little one. Well, there's a, there's a sullen teenager been through this routine. <laughs> how many times? hundred times, 200 times, who knows how many times. This is what he knows. I'm not getting adopted. I'm not as cute as that baby. I'm not as cute as that toddler. Nobody's going to adopt me. He's a sullen teenager. And a young couple comes in. Big, tall man, dark suit, white shirt, nice, perfect tie. Wife in this beautiful dress and her heels and pearl necklace can come in. And this teenager says, I'm not getting up and presenting myself to them. It's a waste of time. And they look over all those little kids. And they set their affection on that sullen teenager. And they take him home. They adopt him. They take him home. They say, here's a room. We got a bedroom. He never had a room by himself. Here's your own bedroom. Nice bed, clean sheets, new wardrobe, everything provided. And he has to wonder, why me? That's the story of the life of God's people. Why me? And that what David said, who am I? What is my house that you make such gracious promises to us? The father set his love on a sinful, vile, ugly people. He set his love upon them. He determined to have them and he sent his son to adopt them. And Christ came. In order to adopt those people, he had to redeem them. There was a price on their head. They had to be redeemed so that they could be adopted into God's family. Now what a gift that God, first of all, would adopt anybody into his family. Anybody. But of all the people God could have chosen to adopt, He chose to adopt sinners. I mean, the worst bunch of dirty ragamuffins you've ever seen in your life. That's who God sent His Son to redeem. So they could be adopted into His family. And when He adopted them, He made those sinful men and women to be truly His sons and His daughters. That's how he loves them. Because he adopted them. 
That brings me to the sixth thing, very closely tied to the gift of adoption. It's the gift of the new birth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. He's caused us to be born again. He's begotten us again unto a lively, living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God, when he adopts his children into his family, he adopts them so they legally bear his name. And he also causes them to be begotten again. Causes them to be born again so they've got his nature. The nature of the Heavenly Father. Now don't miss the magnitude of this gift. Now I think you can, you can calculate the magnitude of a gift by what it costs. Don't you think? This is what this gift cost God. In order for these people to be born again into God's family, God's son had to suffer and die. Can you think of anything more precious, more costly than the blood of Christ? That's what it cost. It cost the blood of God's own son in order to cause his people to be born again. See, before they can come into God's family, they've got to be justified. We already looked at that gift of justification. The only way they can be justified is by the death of Christ. The only way they can be made righteous is if Christ has made sin for them and suffers and dies for them. The only way they can be made fit to be in the family of God is the death, the suffering, the humiliation of God's only begotten Son. Now that's a gift. Oh, what a Precious, expensive gift of God's grace. The gift of the new birth. Now seventh, look back at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verse 14. It's the gift of the forgiveness of our sin in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It's like Paul just is writing, just it's, you just can't even believe it. Even, even the forgiveness of sins. Now God has forgiven the sin of his elect. All of our sin is open Rebellion against God Almighty. All of our sins shaking our fists in the face of God saying, I won't. I won't obey you. I won't bow. I won't submit. All of our sin is open rebellion against God himself. And God has forgiven that sin. He's forgiven it. He's forgiven it freely. Now what that means freely is at no cost to you and me. But that doesn't mean that forgiveness of sin was free. In order to forgive the sin of his people, God's son had to pay a steep cost. A steep cost. 
in order for God to forgive the sin of his people, that sin has to be paid for. You know, somebody does something, you know, to us, they sin against us and we say, I forgive you. Well, it just means we're not going to bring it up anymore. The sin's still there. The fault's still there. It hasn't been paid for. It hasn't been taken away. We just say, I forgive you and I won't bring it up anymore. A holy God can't do that. Well, that sin's got to be dealt with. So in order for God to forgive the sin of his people, the sin debt's got to be paid. It's got to be paid. And the only way that debt can be paid is by the blood of Christ. So the Son of God became a man and he willingly shed his blood to put away the sin of God's people and to make that sin to not exist anymore. And now that sin's gone under the blood of Christ where the Father says, I don't see it anymore. I don't remember it anymore. I don't remember it because it's gone. There's nothing to remember. Now God in justice can forgive the sin of his people and not punish them for it because Christ has already paid the debt. Now that's a gift, isn't it? A gift of God's grace that he would forgive our sin by punishing Christ our substitute. Oh, it's a gift. Then here's the last thing. It's the gift of saving grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8, Paul says, for by grace, by grace, by grace, by grace. It's not by works, it's by grace. Are you saved? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. From beginning to its ultimate completion, salvation is by grace. Now, a gift, a gift from God to sinners like you and me, by definition, has to be gracious, doesn't it? It's a gift. Not something we earned. It's something God gave it, gave to us even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. There's God's electing grace. Where God chose a people to say they didn't deserve it who would never choose him. God's redeeming grace. Where he sent his son to pay the redemption price for a people who've sinned against him. There's God's calling grace. He called a people that didn't know him that wouldn't come to him until he called them first. He called them, called them to Christ. There's regenerating grace where God gives a dead sinner spiritual life. And in that life, they have faith to believe Christ. There's preserving grace where God keeps and preserves his people. We fall away in a heartbeat every second of every day of our life, but God preserves his people by his grace. And one day, this is something none of us have tasted yet, but we will. Glorifying grace. To wake up in the presence of Christ our Savior. Be made just like Him. Worship Him face to face for eternity. Now that's a gift. Isn't it? A gift of grace that we don't deserve. Not one person here deserves that. But God gives it to His people richly anyway. That's the gift of grace. All right, hope I'll be a blessing to you.